the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. It's Wednesday. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering questions, Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, anything that's on your heart. All you have to do is pick up the phone and call 210-340-9585 is our main number. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, I want to remind you, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen. Everything else is hands-free. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Grateful that you tuned in today. Tomorrow, of course, Paula will be live in studio with me on the date day edition of the program. Just for your information, in case you're interested, tonight here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, our Old Testament midweek Bible study is in the book of Ezra. I'm going to try really hard to do two chapters, chapters four and five. Um, pretty interesting stuff, at least from my perspective. So uh, if you can't get here, you can live stream it at calvarysa.com. Well, let's get to some questions and then we'll wait for your phone calls. I want to start out today. Uh, we had a call yesterday from John from Belmont, Texas. I'm sorry, James from Belmont, Texas, um, about um, Hebrews. And I, he called with just three minutes left in the program. And I really didn't have time, unfortunately, to uh, to, to deal with it. So I get so many questions about Hebrews. So what I'd really like to do uh, is is take just a few minutes here at the beginning of the show uh, to get into this just a little bit more in terms of detail. One of the things that we have to remember about Hebrews, and I did have the time yesterday to, to say this, Hebrews is a book that is addressing Christians, converts from Judaism, who have been persecuted. We're told in chapter 10 that they eagerly and, and gladly accepted the confiscation of their property. That was at the beginning. But now, just like you and just like me, this persecution has gone on now for more than 20 years. And some people believe as many as 30 years. And they're getting tired of it. And they're just looking for a way out. Can't life be easy again? How many of us have said that to the Lord? Well, in this particular case... Um, the writer of the epistle to the Hebrews, I believe the Apostle Paul, is just telling him to hang in there. Hang in there. Remember what it was like at the beginning. Remember when you tasted the Word of God. Remember when the Spirit came and began to work in you and then through you to others. Don't throw all of that away. And they're in danger of, or the threat is, Jews, Jews are saying, just come back to Judaism and we'll stop persecuting you. And so there are some uh, who are really seriously contemplating doing that. And so he uses 
Paul does. Um, the the Israelites in the wilderness. That's the context of chapter three. Um, and he says, "In I'm going to go back a verse, and we always have to read these verses in context." He says, "So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest." Now, the they are the the first generation adults, Jewish adults, who wouldn't trust the Lord. And because they wouldn't go in and take their inheritance in the promised land, I always think this is crazy. An 11-day trip ended up taking 40 years uh, because they wandered around in the wilderness because they simply wouldn't trust God. And so um, what he's saying to the Church of the Hebrews or the Hebrews that he's addressing is uh, don't get caught up like they did. Um, This is a a life that's spent fighting and resisting God in our own strength. And that's why he warns in the verse, and this is the verse that James spoke about, see to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. So this is a warning against turning away. Uh, the Jews in the wilderness turned away. God did miracles for them. He he spared their firstborn. You remember in Egypt, he parted the Red Sea. Uh, they plundered the Egyptians. They walked out of, of Egypt with, with a fortune. He fed them manna every day and gave them water from a rock. And yet their unbelief persisted. And unfortunately, that's how a lot of us, James, as Christians behave. Uh, we've been forgiven. God has done us this marvelous gift. And yet when times get hard, we still ask God to do more stuff for us. So it's important we don't fall away just because things get tough. We all have occasional doubts. That's not what the author has in mind here. Unbelief is not being weak in faith. Refusing to believe is setting yourself in opposition to God, in opposition to faith. There is an answer. And the next verse that James asked about was verse 13. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Now, the important thing there is the word daily, because that's how often we need to be encouraged. Uh, Later in this book, in chapter 10, verse 25, we're going to be told that we need to be in church. Do not forsake the assembling together of the saints. And the reason is that we need to be in a place consistently where we can encourage others and be encouraged ourselves, a place where we can use our gifts. And we need to take that as a responsibility every single day. So that's really important. And that's why the author uses the word deceitfulness to describe the effects of sin. Now, when he gets to verse 14, this is the the primary question that James had. He says, we have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. Now, the if there is not conditional, uh, it's not a condition of salvation. It's not like, well, we'll see when you if you make it to the end uh, whether or not you're saved. That's not what he's saying at all. Rather, it's a characterization of those who are saved. That's important. Paul writes that he who began a good work and he will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. So God is the one who is responsible for our salvation. Too many of us, we we see a word like if and it scares us. Well, what do I have to do? Uh, All we have to do is stay with Jesus. That's all. So that's really important. Um, So when we hear the Spirit of God speaking to our hearts, we have to be uh, in that place where the Lord can really, really minister his encouragement to us. So, James, I hope that makes more sense than just the very quick answer I had to give you yesterday. Here is a question. This one is from Raquel from our email inbox. Um, She's referencing a a, a radio program from um, last week, I think Friday. Um, She says, you mentioned Jesus talking about sleep in your point about the rapture. Why did Jesus use the euphemism asleep regarding Lazarus, rather than just say he's dead in the first place? Was it so that he could make a point of what that really means? And another question related related to that is, would would Jesus' use of the word sleep identify the state we will be in until Jesus comes for us? Um, Raquel, why would Jesus use the term sleep? It was the way that people of that time described death. Uh, That's all. You know, we say they passed 
or they passed away. Um, typically, people say he's dead. It seems a little too harsh for us. So we'll say he passed or 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 uh, he went to a better place. We'll say things like that. Well, in Jesus' day, um, the, the, the euphemism for sleep was it. And in fact, Raquel, if you just keep reading, um, he does very plainly say, Lazarus is dead. The disciples, when they heard that Lazarus was sick and Jesus said he's sleeping, um, they said, well, if he's sleeping, that's good. He'll get better. He'll be resting. And Jesus said no, because they misunderstood. Lazarus is dead. And Raquel, that's about as direct as he can possibly be. So uh, it was very clear to the, the audience he was talking to, uh, just because language changes, uh, we can't hold everybody else to the standard so that we understand it. And in this particular case, Raquel, the Bible makes it really, really clear. The other question that you asked, um, would the, the word sleep identify the state we will be in until Jesus comes for us? The answer to that is no. Um, uh, Paul, writing to the Corinthians, uh, says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The Apostle John, uh, in his first epistle, says we don't yet know what we will be, but we know this. When we see him, we will be like he is. So instantly, Raquel, when we die, when, when this old body gives out, the real us never dies. The body gives out. Uh, we go into the presence of the Lord instantly. And um, um, we'll, we will have our glorified, resurrected bodies. So, um, no, we won't be sleeping. The, the, the idea of soul sleep or, uh, well, we just sleep until Jesus decides to come for us. No, that's not the case. Um, angels, uh, when we die, angels will be present. And this minute this body gives its last little rattle and roll, that's when our who we really are inside will move to a completely different place and we'll be with the Lord. So, Raquel, I hope that uh, answers your question. Thank you very, very much for the question. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is an anonymous question. Um, He or she said, I'm pretty hard on myself and it's difficult for me to enjoy my walk with Christ because I always feel like I should be doing more. Can you help? Yeah, you know, Anonymous, one of the things I say to people all the time here at Calvary Chapel San Antonio is lighten up on yourself. You know, God doesn't expect us to be perfect. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows everything that we do. Um, but he wants us to, to, to try to be perfect. We're told twice in the New Testament to aim for perfection. doesn't mean we're going to hit it, not until we're out of this body with this sin nature. But we we need to take it easy on ourselves. Now, I don't mean take it easy on sin or lighten up on sin. If we're in sin, we need to hate that sin. But the idea, the the pressure you put on yourself, I think, well, I need to be doing more, uh, misses the point. Jesus died so that he could share his power with us so that the work we do for him, the fruit that we produce in his name, that fruit will be something others will see. And so as you're walking with Jesus every day, and I just mean enjoying his presence, in his presence is the fullness of joy, um, it's impossible to do that if you're convinced that I I have to please him, I have to believe. He's already pleased. We're accepted in the beloved, the New Testament says. So if we're already accepted, why do we think we have to do more? Now, I can tell you why we think that. The enemy is always pushing that button. So, you got to unpush it. You got to simply say, "No, Lord, I know you love me. I know you're pleased with me." And when you're walking with Jesus, then He's going to lead you into the things that He has prepared for you. I think a lot of us are guilty because we're not doing more, and those are things that God never intended for us to do. So just enjoy your walk. It doesn't mean get lazy spiritually. It doesn't mean do what you want or what your flesh likes. What it means is simply be with Jesus. Anonymous, if you've been listening to this program for any length of time at all, I say it here, I say it to our church all the time, just be with Jesus is the answer to this kind of pressure. Jesus said that his burdens are, 
His yoke are light and easy. And that means when we're putting all this pressure on ourselves, well, that's a self-inflicted wound, and that gives the enemy a chance to continue to pound at us, and that's exactly what he's going to do. So do whatever God sets in front of you. Don't worry about that which he hasn't yet set in front of you. And if you just sometimes can sit down, relax, and hang out with the Lord, uh, don't feel like, well, I should be doing more. Remember, Jesus himself spent a lot of time alone with his Father, all by himself, because that was the source of his energy, the source of his, his renewing himself. That's what refreshed him. He said uh, to his disciples at the uh, well in Samaria, my meat or my food is to do the will of my Father. That's what energized Jesus, being pleasing to his Father. So that's all you have to do. Get up in the morning, check in with Jesus, open your Bible, see if he has anything to say to you. Every day, Lord, what about me? What about today? And let him do the leading. When you get in your flesh like you're in your flesh, what's happening, Anonymous, is that you're trying in your own strength to do things that you can't possibly do. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. He said, with God, all things are possible. So what we want to do is enjoy his presence. And then pretty much the rest of that takes care of itself. For all of you who are hard on yourself, imagine just how much Jesus is frustrated because he just says, hey, let's just hang out, have some fun. I think that's important. Here is an anonymous question. Pastor Ron, why do churches charge for conferences and worship concerts when the gospel is free? Uh, Anonymous, you've touched on one of my pet peeves in the Christian church. Um, John chapter 10, what you have received freely, give freely. Uh, It doesn't mean that it's always wrong to charge for things. A conference costs money. And so if there's a a fee uh, and and people feel justified in doing that, I can tell you that uh, most of the conferences that I go to, um, um, there is a, a fee um, there's food, there's uh, people that are serving, there's use of the facility. Uh, most of the conferences that I go to um, are reasonably priced, um, but I do know there's some conferences that charge a lot of money. <clears throat> Excuse me, and I just don't get it. Worship conferences, or I'm sorry, worship concerts is the word to use, not conference. Um, you know, the, the um, musicians need to get paid. That's their work. Um, so I, 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 again, I don't go to those, so I don't know, uh, what they charge. Uh, a concert is just a performance like anything else. I, and frankly, I don't like the term worship concert, um, because I, I think they're sort of in opposition to one another. Um, but, but if you go to hear a, a, a band, um, they need to get paid. They need to make a living and they're making a living from doing that. Uh, if the fee is not reasonable, just don't go. I wish everybody gave stuff for free. That's what God has us do. Um, unfortunately, uh, it's hard. I mean, it's hard. Um, when you're not asking people for money and you're not letting your needs be known, uh, this radio program, uh, as an example, or our teaching programs that are on uh, this and other stations, um, we never ask for money. We never say, you know, if you want this ministry to continue, please uh, give generously. We never offer a free gift that isn't really free because you got to give something in order to get it. We don't do stuff like that. I wish everybody was like that. But they're not. So um, while I have a preference, certainly, um, I can't say that charging is um, wrong. I think it's a matter of conscience. So I just think that's the typical way of doing business here in the West uh, for churches. It's irritating to me, anonymous, but that's the way it is. Jeremy says, can you explain, can you explain please what a real revival would look like? 
Um, yeah, Jeremy, I think it's easy. You know, one of the things you want to do, J. Edwin Orr is a guy who's, who's done a lot of writing on what revival uh, really is. He does a, a wonderful in-depth study of of the, the, the revivals that we know have occurred, the Welsh revival. I've actually got a, a, a man in my church who was a pastor in Wales, and uh, uh, it's interesting to talk to him because that, that Welsh revival um, continues to this day to have an impact on on the the the, the country. Um, a, a real revival, Jeremy, a, a, a move of God's Spirit in His church, and that's you know revival by by definition. I like to call it. I need to be vived, and then after you've been vived, you got to be revived if you fall away a little bit. And in this particular case. Um, a, a real revival would, would look like genuine repentance. People would be um, falling out, asking God for forgiveness for their sins. Um, Christians would, would be asking God to forgive them for coming up short, for being disobedient. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. And there's just so much disobedience. And I think we would be repentant of that. Christians who are doing sinful things, drinking too much, uh, doing drugs, um, um, involved in other kinds of, of sexual immorality, um, stealing, those kinds of things, uh, angry men uh, and women. Um, I think they would they would fall on their face and ask God to forgive them for those things. Now, typically, Jeremy, those kind of things, we say, oh, God, I'm sorry, I don't want to do it anymore. But but believe me, the church is guilty. Christians are guilty of doing things willfully, rebelliously, and sort of letting it slide because uh, God's not going to judge them right there. But when a revival happens and the Spirit of God begins to be poured out, your lack of holiness, it would be like Isaiah. Um, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. Now, that's staggering, Jeremy, because... Um, Isaiah was arguably one of the two holiest men along with Daniel in our whole Bibles. And he says, I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and I've seen the Lord. Surely I must die. That's what a revival is. We, we look in his presence and, um, and we get saved. If we, or or we, we'd repent of our sin. If we would do that, people, Jeremy, would get saved. Thank you for that. Um, let's go to I, I think I've got a call on the line but I don't have it on my screen so uh, Ruben is that you? You're on the air Ruben are you there? Hello? Hi. Hello? Yes God bless precious uh, uh, Ruben Once Thank again. you Ruben Yeah I'm sorry um the question uh, that I have is it's 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 uh, goes along with the one that Jeremy just said. As for me, though, uh, I don't pretend to be perfect in any way, shape, or form. You know, the the, the thing with me is is uh, the things that I struggle with. You know, I could go for a long time without struggling with anything, and then out of nowhere, just Boom! It'll just come, and 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 then I I fail the Lord because I'm not as lawful as I thought I was. <laughs> you know, I thought you know, or ho- holy as I should. I guess I don't know. And and then that's when the enemy comes in and says, "You see, Reuben, you try so hard, and 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 you know, you do this, you quit that, and now you're this, and then look what happens." You know, so, like, my question is, is, like, I don't want to do these things, Pastor. I don't I don't want to, like, this one thing that I that I struggle with, you know, um, I don't want to. And, and I'm pretty sure you can guess what it is, but I'm not going to say it because I just don't want, you know. Mm-hmm. But I just, I mean, can you help me understand, like, Am I just like, I don't know. I just, I don't know what to think about it. Am I just not caring enough or, you know, about the word of God or just, 
not as strong as I think I am. Yeah. Ruben, thank you for sharing your heart. Uh, I'm going to answer this in two phases. We, we're running a little bit of short on time for this half of the program. So uh, I'll, I'll start generally, and then on the other side of the break, uh, I'll get more specific about your per, uh, personal struggle. Um, and and uh, there's a bunch of people that struggle along with you. So um, just sort of be patient and I'll get to that part. You know, you said you'll be doing fine for a while and then all of a sudden, boom, and, and, and that sin is right before you. Uh, Peter said that the devil prowls around um, as a roaring lion looking uh, for people to devour. More specifically, we know that in Job, he was inspecting Job. It's a military term. Uh, he was checking him out day after day, looking for an opening. And um, the reason that we suddenly find that sin or that temptation to be overwhelming is because the devil has found an opening. And when he finds that opening, he is going to exploit it. And that's when we have to be particularly diligent to fight the battle, the spiritual warfare that's involved. Now, Reuben, please hold on or or, uh, just keep listening on the other side of the break because I want to get more specific about this battle because, as I said, it's something that we all share. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the Wednesday show, 340-9585. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our Wednesday show. We've got 30 minutes to take your phone calls and answer your questions. 340-9585 or toll free. 877-630-KSLR. I want to deal with Ruben's question. Um, you know, why do we fall to temptation? We're doing fine for a time and then suddenly we blow it. Uh, imagine this, Ruben, and I think this is the best picture to have in your brain. Um, you're in the you're in the Word. You're you're talking to the Lord in prayer. You're you're spending time with Jesus, and the devil is always checking you out. Peter told us that. And as he's checking you out, he can't find an opening because you're so close to Jesus. But then something happens. We drift away a little bit. Our attention gets diverted. Uh, maybe there's a, a, a moment of disobedience or, or maybe a sin that breaks our fellowship with the Lord. And the devil is right there to take advantage of that opening. And we've given him the opening. Now, it's important we understand that we can close those doors. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. If we have enough faith to believe that, we don't have to give in to temptation, even when we're caught off guard. Like Reuben explained, you know, I, I, all of a sudden, there it is, boom, and I find myself doing this thing. First um, Corinthians ten thirteen says that no temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. Now, what that means is that everybody goes through what you're going through. I know there are times when we're tempted where we feel like we're the only one on earth going through this. That's a lie from the enemy. And then the next sentence in that verse says, and God is faithful. It doesn't say that Reuben's faithful or Pastor Ron is faithful. God is faithful. And then it says this, he won't let us be tempted beyond what we can bear. So at that point, and, and when we're tempted, he'll provide a way out so we don't have to do it. So all we have to do, Reuben, is take that way out. Temptation comes, take those thoughts captive. Lord, I know this is a temptation from the enemy. I know my flesh likes this or wants to do this, but I choose to serve you. And I need your power to do that, Lord. And, and he will provide that way out. I think the problem, Reuben and I'm not making this personal to you, but just to everybody who struggles with this, I think we don't really hate our sin enough. I think when we're doing well and we're fighting and we're fighting to do the right thing and then the temptation comes, I think we're just conditioned to give up sometimes. And if you really hate your sin, and I know you do, and if you really love Jesus, and I know you do, 
then you have to have just enough faith to believe 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, and then you've got to do it. You know, knowledge of Bible verses has no value. I think for all of us, we can close those doors to the enemy by just being with Jesus, by, by being in the Word, um, by, by doing everything we do, we do it with Jesus. You know, I'm certainly not in the Bible all day, every day. I'm not on my knees in prayer. I'm never on my knees in prayer. I'm too old for that. But I'm not in prayer all day, every day. But you know what I, I do try to do? And I do this fairly effectively. I just want to be with Jesus. And so when the temptation comes, and it doesn't matter if you're a pastor or not, temptation comes. When temptation comes, I can just say, Jesus, you handle this. I want to spend time with you. So I'm aware that Jesus is here with me doing this radio show. I'm aware that um, um, no matter what I'm doing, I'm, I'm sitting at lunch. Um, I'm thanking him for the food and and asking him to bless it. Um, I, I just keep that conversation continually with the Lord. It's when I'm not aware of Jesus' presence. In those times when I just forget that he's here. I get busy or do other things. That's when the enemy is going to try to push those buttons. So we have to stay close to him. That's what relationship is all about. So be with him. You'll make better choices. And you'll find that you have the power to resist that you never had before. My final thought on this, Reuben, is simple. Repent, you've done that. That's clear in your voice. But you got to say, Jesus, I don't want to do this anymore. Like the Apostle Paul, what I want to do, I don't do. What I don't want to do, that's what I find myself doing. And then he came to the conclusion, O wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from this body of death? And his answer was just be with Jesus. He said it differently. He said, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. He's the rescuer. So just say, Jesus, I'm being tempted I need to be rescued right now. Then don't give in. Understand, it's a choice. And when you make that choice, you're saying, whatever it is you're doing, you're saying, Jesus, I need you to leave right now because I'm going to do something that's ugly. I'm going to do something that you hate. And I'm going to do it anyway. And if you be that brutally honest with yourself, that's what Paul meant, oh, wretched man that I am. If you be that honest with yourself, Believe me, you'll learn to hate your sin enough to say no to it so you can say yes to Jesus. God doesn't take away the temptations for sure. He leaves them with us. So I hope that answers your question. Thank you very, very much, Reuben. God bless you. It's good to hear from you. When I, when I go a week and don't hear from you, I worry about you. So you're in our prayers constantly. Here's a question from Gina. She says, prayer confuses me. If God knows everything, how can we change anything by prayer? Gina, this is one of the mysteries of our Bibles. We, we don't know. Um, God told Moses over and over, I'm going to destroy them. I'm, you know, I'm gonna, Moses, you go. I'll start over with you. But, but he moved on Moses' heart to intercede for the people. Now, God moved on Moses' heart because that was God's heart. But, but here's what we know. Prayer changes things. Uh, it's true, God knows everything. But prayer changes things. I think sometimes there are things that we see, um, things that we are aware of, um, that that God puts on our heart and wants to pray. I think of Nehemiah. Um, Nehemiah had such a burden on his heart. His brother came back from Jerusalem after the exiles uh, to go check on the exiles. And he said, boy, things are bad there. There's no walls of defense. They're, they're, they're not safe and secure. And all of a sudden, Nehemiah had this burden in his heart that just wouldn't go away. And so he prayed, and God changed things. What did he do? First of all, he changed Nehemiah. Nehemiah, if you got this burden in your heart, I want you to go. And, and I think that's the most important thing to note with prayer. Prayer changes us. No longer do we only want what we want, but the more we talk to the Lord, that's what prayer is, it's just conversation, the more we want what he wants for us. And so that's the thing, Gina, that we've got to understand is we are the thing. The primary mission is for God to change us, and that happens 
uh, when we are in his presence in prayer. Um, the rest of it, God puts it in our heart to pray. He does that because he wants to answer our prayers. And so our sovereign God, he just allows us to be used to change things. Were they going to change anyway? Of course they were. But prayer enables us to be used to be a part of that change, Gina. Prayer is so important because the only way you get to know God is to spend time with him, to talk to him and let him speak to you. So we've got to be in prayer, men and women of prayer, but we've also got to be men and women of the word because God is going to speak to us through the word. Instead of taking sort of the fatalistic approach, well, God knows everything, so why pray? We pray because he said to. It's just an act of obedience, an act of loving obedience. So that's why we pray. So don't let it confuse you. Don't get uh, so spiritual trying to figure this out. Just do what he tells you to do. And what you're going to find is that God really will bless your obedience. And I love the fact that God wants to change things and wants to change me. So that that's why prayer is so vital in our lives, Gina. Hope that makes sense to you. Anonymous says, Pastor Ron, if faith without works is dead, doesn't that mean that we are saved by works and not by faith? No, it's just the opposite, Anonymous. Um, James, when he says faith without works is dead, um, he's not saying we're saved by a combination of faith and works. Here's what he's saying. If you profess to have faith in God, but that faith hasn't changed you, and that faith hasn't changed what you do, then you really don't have faith at all. You know, we all understand the word faith, but too many of us, we don't really grasp the concept of faith. And that's what James is simply saying. He says, real faith, genuine faith, produces good works. Now, the good works, there's a lot of good works. It could be service that you do, uh, kindness, the the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Um, th- th- that's the work, that's the fruit of what it means to to really believe in Jesus Christ. That's what the power of the Spirit produces. Uh, in other words, if you're angry, um, if you if you use foul language, if you um, if you really aren't any different than before you profess the faith in Christ, James is saying that that's not a genuine saving faith. And these are hard things because we, let, we we talk about grace all the time. And it's right that we do so, Anonymous. But if you've met Jesus, I want this to be crystal clear for everybody listening today. If you have met my Jesus, you're different than before you met him. And it's not one of those things, well, uh, yeah, I'm not perfect yet, so I'm still doing some things. No, if you've met Jesus, the thing that changes is your heart. You want to be obedient. You want to be perfect. You hate your sin. And too many of us, we count on grace, unmerited favor to save us, and yet we're not in a place where we hate our sin. We're not in a place where we're being obedient. We know that we're holding back from the Lord. We know that our flesh is still in control. And James is simply saying that that kind of faith isn't genuine faith at all. It's dead faith. Now, please note, he didn't say, nor did I, that it means you're not saved. It just means that we can all have a a, a faith that saves. But we may not have a faith that lives. And so what he's saying is that then, by definition, is dead And you have to revive it. The way to revive it, of course, is through repentance, asking God to forgive you, and then saying, okay, Lord, let's start all over again. And then that power that raised Christ from the dead that lives in each and every one of us is activated all over again. So, Anonymous, that's what James means when he says faith without works is dead. It has no connection to being saved at all. He's simply saying that if you've really met Jesus then you're not the same man or woman that you were before that statement of faith. So I hope that answers your question. Reggie says, Pastor, is God choosing who goes to heaven and who goes to hell? Is that heresy? Um, yeah, Reggie, it is. It's, it's, um, 
um, a misunderstanding of even Calvinist doctrine. Uh, it's called double election or double predestination. And it's just using human logic that says, well, if God uh, chooses some to, to go to heaven, then by definition, he chooses others to go to hell. In our Bibles, the doctrine of election, predestination, whatever you want to call it, is never, ever mentioned in any connection other than being connected to salvation. It's never once connected with going to hell um, or, or eternal punishment. But the, the doctrine of election deals with those who are saved. So to say that God says to some people, um, I choose you, but I don't choose you, so heaven or hell, uh, that really is heresy. And it's a, 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 a heresy that causes a lot of people pain and completely um, corrupts the nature and the character of God. Uh, God makes it so difficult for us to go to hell, Reggie. I like to say it this way. He literally makes us walk over his dead body, dead and resurrected body, in order to, to get into hell for eternity. He makes it really difficult. If we go to hell, it's because we choose to reject Jesus Christ. We choose of our own free will to reject Jesus Christ. And uh, that means we're the ones who are making that choice, not God. So, Reggie, be careful. I don't know what the genesis of the question is, but if you are um, reading some Calvinist stuff or listening to Calvinist preachers or going to a Calvinist church, be careful because those extremes, and Calvinism is extreme uh, by its very nature, but if if uh, th- there are some that take those extremes to really, really unhealthy places. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Michael. He wants to know simply, how can I learn to trust God more? Michael, this is a question that, that can only be answered by experience. You learn to trust God more by giving him a chance to show off for you. It's that simple. When we get saved, God is going to take us on a on a on a journey, and that journey is going to be uh, one obstacle after another, one question after another. And um, God wants us to get out of the way, and He wants us then to um, to 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 say, "Okay, Lord, what about me? And what about now?" And then when we do that, God will then demonstrate His power uh, in and through our lives. So um, it's experiential. You got to learn that He's trustworthy. Uh, I, I think of my walk with the Lord, Michael. Now, I've been saved now for 32 years. But from the very beginning, and I mean literally from the very beginning, God was asking me to trust him. Now, Michael, I failed so many times. I, I reverted to my flesh, doing things in a worldly way. I failed many, many times. But God was always putting those tests before me. And, and because I would eventually say yes... He demonstrate that he can be trusted. And then over and over and over, the stakes got higher and higher and higher. You know, it's interesting. I look back on the thing, and I think, I think Paul and I were talking about May 31st is our birthday here as a church. And uh, Paul and I are talking about maybe doing a, a Wednesday evening Bible study that night, um, just sort of sharing um, from both of our perspectives what the Lord has done, um, the, the things that we've seen him do. And, and you know, we'd run out of money, and then money would show up. Um, and when I say run out of money, I mean nothing. Nothing. Um, uh, getting into this building where we're, we are now. Just, just all kinds of things where God demonstrated that if we'll trust him, God will do pretty marvelous things. And we wanted to be a part of that. And God has proven to us over the years, he's proven to us, that it's almost impossible not to say yes to him because he's proven so trustworthy. So, Michael, you've just got to walk by faith. When God says to do something, it doesn't need to make sense. Don't ask the question why. Don't try to figure it out and don't have any expectations. You do what the Lord is telling you to do and you will see the hand of God move in and through your lives. And once that gets started, you'll never settle for not being in the presence of the Lord in a, in a supernatural way ever, ever again. 
It's an amazing life to live. It can be scary at times. But the more scary it is, the um, more eager you are for the next time. I hope that makes sense. It's like, okay, God, when you did this, I never thought it was possible. You did this. What's next? And you really get excited about that possibility. But you can't learn to trust him unless you give him the opportunity to prove himself to you. So I hope that makes uh, sense and answers your question. Thank you very, very much. Here is a question from Jason from our email inbox. Hello, Pastor Ron. Praying you are well. Thanks for taking my question. In reading Luke twenty one twenty four, 24, um, I'm going to read it. It says, And they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations, and Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And then he asked the question, If this scripture is future prophecy spoken by Christ, why would he say the Gentiles will be in Jerusalem uh, this tells me that the people who are occupying the land in Jerusalem are Gentiles. It makes you wonder, who are the real Jews? These people were not scattered throughout all nations. Christ did not say the land will be filled with Jews. Also reading Revelation 11, 2, uh, but the court, which is without the temple, the court, I'm sorry, but the court which is without the temple, on the outside of the temple, leave out and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall then tread underfoot forty uh, and two months. If I'm reading this correctly, both scriptures um, mean the Gentiles. Uh, please explain um, if you can, thank you. Um, Jason, you've got to be careful. You're going down a really, really dangerous trail. I don't know who you're reading or what you're reading, but make no mistake. Jesus is is talking about the end times um, in, in, um, in, in the Revelation passage in particular. Um, he's talking about the, the, the temple um, during the Great Tribulation, the not the Millennial Temple, but the, the temple that the Antichrist will build. And the way he's going to come to power is he's going to come up with a solution. He's going to be able to give Jews and Muslims their holy place side by side. And so what they're going to do, they're going to measure the court and the original foundation of Solomon's Temple. That's what, what's being considered here. The original foundation of Solomon's Temple is going to be measured. And they're going to find that it stands out just outside um, the, the Dome of the Rock or the, the mosque that's there now. And so the Antichrist is going to come up with this plan where Jews and Muslims can worship together. Everybody's going to think he's the greatest man of peace ever. And they're going to rebuild that temple. So those two things don't really go together. Prophecy has dual fulfillment. And in this case, in Jesus, in Luke chapter 21, um, we know that Jerusalem was trodden down of the Gentiles from um, 70 AD until 1948. So Gentiles occupied that space. Um, and and uh, we know that uh, uh, in 1948, um, the, the world was in a place uh, motivated by uh, the Holocaust um, where the world needed to make up to Jews. And um, they were able then to come back to their land. First President David Ben-Gurion, uh, Jews from all over the world came came back. Uh, that just sets the stage for the time that we live in while we await the return of the Lord. So there is a short-term fulfillment of that. The Jerusalem was trodden down to the Gentiles in 70 AD when the Roman general Titus destroyed the temple and the city, uh, and Jews were scattered all over the world. It doesn't mean they were lost. There's no lost tribes. It just means they were scattered all over the world. And after or nearly 2,000 years or 1,900 years later, they were gathered again in their homeland, just as God always promised. And they have been a nation since then, in spite of the fact that they live in the middle of, of the most hostile environment possible, the most abused and mistreated people ever. Be really careful. Um, 
uh, Jason, because uh, the, the question sort of is on the edges of, well, Israel are the interlopers. No, that land is God's. He gave it to Israel, and they're going to return that. And by the way, that's where Jesus will rule and reign forever in the millennium, the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth. And then, of course, after that, a new heaven and a new earth, uh, a new Jerusalem will be be made and or created. And that's where Jews will be forever and ever. Um, Israel is 75 years old this year. I didn't even think about that. So, um, so Jason, that's what's going on. I think we're just really almost out of time. Here's a quick question I could take from Asia. She asked, were the apostles speaking in real languages or just gibberish in Acts chapter 2? That's really clear, Asia. They were speaking real languages, dialects, um, and the people who didn't speak uh, their language understood them. So it was a real language. It was, they heard them declaring the wonders of God. So uh, it wasn't just gibberish and uh, the gift of interpretation. They heard them speaking in their own language. And that uh, that makes it a supernatural event. It was the entrance of the Holy Spirit into the world, a one-time-only event, and uh, just marked a whole new way of doing things. So, Asia, good question. Hey, thank you for tuning in. It's been fun. Tomorrow, Paula will be here live in studio with me on the Date Day edition of the program. Tonight, here at Calvary Chapel, I'm going to be in Ezra chapters 4 and 5. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.